Have you been watching? Uh, are you recording, by the way? Yeah, not? we're recording. Oh, okay. Anything, anything noteworthy? What have I been watching? I watched. Speaking, of, actually, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna. Nah. Cut, I'm gonna answer my own question. Uh, I watched Love and Death. Remind me really what that good. movie uh, is again. It's a mini series uh, with Elizabeth Olsen. Okay. And it is really good. Yeah, cool. It is true crime. A, and I mean true crime. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen is really good. Love yeah, highly, highly recommend it. Um, I think it's only six, seven episodes, which is nice. Ooh. It's a full contained story. Oh, maybe my partner will dig this one as well, actually. I, I do like a good... Yeah, it's a really good miniseries. Nice miniseries. Um, oh, it's, I, uh, yeah. I, I recognize the picture. I'm looking at it online. This is really interesting for listeners, me looking <laughs> up things on the internet. Uh-huh. But I do recognize that now. Where do you where do you watch it? Is it binge? Yes, cool. binge. Yeah. All right. Because uh, yeah, it's HBO Max. Ah, oh, perfect. Uh yeah, really, really good. Um, mm. Like I said, she's incredible. Uh, really interesting story. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny though. After watching that and just sort of looking up the true story and all that kind of stuff, we've also yeah. got hits for or articles about the other version. So there's I can't remember who the the name of the other show. But there's... Oh, who is it? Is it from another country, like... Candy, go- sorry. Candy. So Candy, there's a miniseries as well about the same story called Candy. Okay. Starring Jessica Biel. Okay. So yeah. it's just funny, like, um, how it just seems to happen a lot in entertainment industry where we get yeah. doubles of things. Oh, yeah. Like... You I know, remember we get two Snow White movies, we get two Red Riding Hood movies. You oh, you're know, right. Even recently. Seem to get, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's all throughout, like, just over the years, it always seems to be, like, you, you do hear these stories that sometimes that is literally because one studio is working on this film, mm. and then another studio goes, oh, have you heard blah, blah, blah is doing this? Yeah. We should do one, too. Yeah. But then other times, I don't know, I wonder if it's just, like, is that just... It's just in the zeitgeist. Yeah. It's in the cultural kind of mindset at the time. I remember um, Deep Impact coming out around the same time as Armageddon. Correct, yeah. And I remember Dante's Peak coming out around the same time as Volcano. Yeah, that Tommy Lee Jones one. Yep. Um, And I mean, war movies were always coming and going, but I do remember the thin red line was out around a similar time as Saving Private Ryan. Correct, Very, very different movies, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's just weird. Anyway, it's a weird phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, yeah, so there's a candy show that also is apparently really good. I mean, what okay. is it, 7.2 on IMDb? Okay. Um, and then, yeah, Love and Death as well, which is, I think, 7.5 on IMDb. So they're both All I know very about good it shows. is that it's true crime. I know nothing else. You've spoiled yeah. nothing. No. Uh, check it out. Good stuff. I haven't been watching as much. I, I guess um, I've got to refer to my letterbox. But, you know, I did buy another Blu-ray on Afterpay. Oh, okay, yeah. Itchy the Killer. You ever seen Itchy the Killer? Oh, nice. Yeah, of course. I was looking for a Region B and uh, found one. So I got it. It's Takeshi uh, Miike's. Okay, yep. Uh, he's a crazy Japanese filmmaker. And this, this is just one of those movies sure I is. kind of blew my little mind as a young person watching it. And um, 
I don't think I can even describe the plot without um, offending people. Or It's about <laughs> people that kill each other and uh-huh. they're beating up women. It's awful, but the movie is sort of like... It's it. Some scenes are really pushing you to you know, um, to the to the limit a bit with what you're willing to tolerate on film. But mm-hmm. um, it's done in this like over the top heightened cartoonish style almost. Like they there's a scene where two gangsters are trying to pull off. One gangster is on one arm, one gangster's on the other arm, and just for fun, they're just gonna try to pull this dude's arms off. Yeah. <laughs> and then a woman comes in and tries to like peel his face off. It, but yeah. But it's done in such a stupid cartoony way that you kind of laugh a little bit. Yeah, well, he did that. Um, he he's an interesting director, though. Oh, that he's one, he, nuts. Yeah. yeah, he did a lot of those sort of really graphic movies, but he also did some like what's that detective video game? It was like on um 3ds and DS. He did oh, he did the uh, um, adaptation of that Ace Attorney. Ace Attorney, yeah, yeah, he did Ace Attorney, which again talking about the cartoonish kind of stuff, it lend itself actually quite well to something like that. But when I first yeah. heard about it, I was like, wait, what? Like <laughs> seems like it doesn't seem like the right director, but actually it was that was a really fun movie. I thought it was yeah. really good. Especially as video game movies go, it's very good. Oh, some of those are terrible, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Um but and then of course Thirteen Assassins, which I highly oh. recommend. Oh my god, that movie has just this one long epic oh my god. fight scene that's insane. Yeah. Oh, wait, am I thinking of the same one? No, 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 absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's just it's nuts. Epic. Yeah, there's so much blood. It's like pools of blood. Yeah. He's a interesting dude making some interesting movies, but yes. yeah, that's that's sort of pretty much it for me. Should we nice. jump into the uh, the we topic should. of the day? Yeah, what are we doing today? Today we are doing Home Alone. We're going to do mainly, I believe, Home Alone one. We're going to touch on Home Alone two. Correct. Yep. Sort of to you know, we were doing Christmas in July. Yeah, so it's mega fitting the end in July with uh, Home Alone. This was actually a fan pick. We're always asking people to reach out, let us know what movies you might want us to cover. And yeah, this one we got a request. We got actually a lot of requests for Home Alone. We did. So, shout out to particularly Dean and Nate. Thank you for requesting this one. Yes, yes. Hope you like it. Hope we can do it justice, I guess. We can do do it. Yeah. This is probably my favorite Christmas movie, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're I think I'm the same. Also, second to that would be uh Christmas Vacation, I think. True. All the Santa Claus, I'm partial to a bit oh, of that. Yeah, okay. Wasn't too old for the Santa Claus when that came out. I have fond memories. But no, Home Alone, I think, is the movie that one of those movies I would have watched over and over and over again as a kid. Yeah. It's hard Same. for me not to separate the nostalgia from you know the quality of the film but we'll get into that later should we start off with the uh the the details run us through the info yeah so home alone came out in 1990 directed by chris columbus uh this movie launched his career uh though he did write uh the gremlins and the goonies oh he wrote Gremlins. okay yeah. Cool, yeah uh so this film kick-started his directing career which led him to direct mrs doubtfire and the first two harry potter films I had no idea he did those two Harry yeah. Potter movies. I I never saw them in in their entirety, but that's really it's pretty yeah, cool, pretty I huge. Guess in my head, Chris Columbus is just this movie. Yeah, you know, fair. Or okay. he discovered America, or he. <laughs> yeah, I think. <laughs> oh, good one. Not that. Not that. Um, um, but you know, you know what though? Like it's and it's written by John Hughes. Good thing to yes, point out. Yes. So written and produced by John Hughes. Um, yeah. Music by John Williams. Yep. So the Star Wars. Indiana Jones composer. I think that music is embedded in all of our, like people of our generation, all in our brains. You know. Oh yeah, it's the music in this is so good. Yeah. Um, oh, it's 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 great soundtrack. It's amazing. To it. It's funny too. I mentioned just before Christmas Vacation. So 
Chris Columbus was actually originally signed on to direct National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, talk, we talked about Chevy Chase in the previous episode and how difficult he is to work with. Yeah. So that was uh, the reason, apparently, that he left. Just that uh, he was a bit of a famous asshole. Yes. You so, know? yeah, pretty much he left for that reason. But, um, yeah, John Hughes obviously wrote the script for this yeah. and gave it to Chris Columbus to direct. And John Hughes had previously um, gotten Macaulay Culkin in Uncle Buck, you know, with John Candy again. Yeah, right. And I think he loved him so much in that role, he thought, I've got to write a role for this kid in the future. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to give this kid more of a, a star piece because Macaulay Culkin had been acting since the, like the mid-80s. He started when he was four. Wow. Okay. He started very, very young. Um, like bit roles in TV movies and then even, you know, bigger movies, small roles. But Uncle Buck, I think, is the first thing that most people might remember him from when yeah. you're thinking of Macaulay Culkin's uh, movies. He's got such an interesting life story. Mm-hmm. You know, he gets paid 110000 for Home Alone, but then he's getting paid millions for Home Alone too. Oh, yeah. So, by the time he is a teenager, he is essentially, um, you know, he's quit acting after, mm-hmm. I think, in like 1994... Somewhere in the mid-90s, he's like, I'm taking a... Not quitting, taking a big break. He's worth tons of money. And he takes his parents to court so that they don't have control over his trust, you know, his okay. financial trust. He, he wants to appoint an executor. Hmm. And the rumors were like, I think the media reported that he divorced his parents. That's just not true. Mm-hmm. He just didn't want them as, you know, having any financial control over Yeah, okay. Because, yeah, I'd heard the divorced his parents. Not quite true, oh, no. Okay. He, he didn't divorce his parents. Um, just that thing about, you know, didn't want them to have any control over that trust. Because he, he would access it once he turned a certain age. Mm, okay. Because I'd also heard his dad was quite hands-on. You know, like it's probably a nice way, a polite way of saying it. He was well, his, his dad apparently was violent and, you know... Um, yeah. And sort of, you know, maybe pushy in in the sense of getting him in acting. Because his dad was like a failed actor right. that I've, I think turned to religion at one point. But they would live in New York, this small New York apartment with a whole bunch of kids. And Macaulay Culkin would say, I think my dad resented me because I had achieved so much by the age of 10. Mm. And that was something that he had been chasing his whole life and didn't succeed in. Um, so, he didn't see, apparently he didn't ha- have any contact with his dad after taking them to court. Yeah, uh, wow. for control over that trust, but then he, you know, he went on to marry another young Hollywood co-star and sp- separate and divorce her, and then he just popped up randomly here and there, like in New York, in that um, that band where he did Velvet Underground songs with pizza boxes or pizza themes to them. Do you remember that, the Pizza Underground? Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> he would pop up here and there. Everyone thought he was on drugs. He was just very skinny. I think he was fine the whole time. He was uh, with Mila Kunis for a long time. They yes, had a long relationship. That's right, yep. And now he's got a kid and a and a wife, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I was just always fascinated by Macaulay Culkin's career. I think because mm. he's born in 1980. He's only six years older than me, maybe only five years older than you, yeah. you know. So just that sort of parallel life. What what kind of weird, messed up life he had. He was also great friends with Michael Jackson, you know, swore that of he course. never saw anything or had anything happen to yeah, him. Yes, the black and white music video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was in another music video too. Did you ever see that Sonic Youth Sunday music video clip? Oh, right. No, no. It's a much older Macaulay Culkin, but it's a side of him you rarely see. You either really see older him 
maybe very skinny in New mm. York, having his photo taken by the press, or you see young him in these films. But this is him maybe 17, 18, uh, and it's a bit of a pretentious, wanky Sonic Youth clip, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> I see. But it's just interesting um, seeing him in that in, at, at that age. You rarely get a, a shot of him. Yeah. But it seems like he's doing very well now, which oh, is Oh, good. Okay, awesome. good. Oh, that's, that's the bit I was hoping to hear. Oh, he's doing very well. He, he popped up on a lot of YouTube channels. He popped up on Angry Video Game Nerd. On oh, Red Letter nice. Media multiple times. I was gonna say, I think I, I think I saw him on maybe Funny or Die or something yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Back I think and he looked healthy. He looked great. I think he was just more like, you know, he was enthusiastic about these content creators, and he was like, they are getting millions of views, and he was about to break into podcasting and mm-hmm. having his own company. Um, and it was really weird. Just all of a sudden, angry video game nerd is reviewing Home Alone games, and there's Macaulay Culkin well, there's Macaulay in the Gar- pizza delivery outfit. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Sitting next to him. It was great. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think you touched on it about how, you know, him being similar age to us and kind of being uh, someone that I guess we looked up to as kids. At least we could relate, you know? Like it, yeah. You know how people obviously want representation on, on screen and stuff? I think it was, you know... Obviously, as a just a, a white kid growing up, <laughs> we need more representation for young yeah, white you know, kids. Well, that's a bad point, but <laughs> no, no, no. I, but I know you what you mean. What I mean. Like I could just relate. You know, I was you know blonde head, you had shy blonde little hair? kid. Yeah, well, when I was very young, yeah, I Holy, did. How did. Yeah, I know. Because now <laughs> it's I thought I just thought you would have had dark black hair. It, yeah. it, yes, it went that way, and, but I was really, and, I and was, now it's great. Now, now it's great. Jimmy. Yep. yep. What exactly. a journey your hair's been. My on. hair's gone everywhere. Yeah, I can't tell you. Still got a beautiful head of hair. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm contemplating Rogaine at this point. Oh wow! But I know what you mean. Sorry. Yeah, Macaulay Culkin was like in our age group, and yeah, it felt yeah. like those movies were for us. Well, that's what I mean. I, I know it sounds maybe your representation was a bad angle, but I meant more just as I could see myself in him, and I could imagine myself in the kind of in similar shoes. You know, yeah. Like, especially when you get to uh, like Richie Rich and stuff, I'd be like, oh, how amazing that would be. Yeah. If I could be, uh, you know, this oh, rich kid had all these things, you know. And um, this movie has a bit of that wish fulfillment element exactly. as well. Yeah. Being home alone, eating junk food and jumping on the bed and tobogganing down the stairs out of the front door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I get back into the rest of the uh, behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. So, we've got, uh, obviously, Macaulay Culkin as Kevin McAllister. We have Catherine O'Hara as Kate, so Kevin's mum. We have John Hurd as Peter, his dad. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, the two villains, the two wet bandits, yep. Joe Pesci as Harry. Apparently, Dane DeVito was originally considered for that role. Oh, that would have been good as well. Yeah. I can picture him doing that. We also have Daniel Stern as Marv. Uh, now, oh, Stern came on board thanks to Pesci, requesting him. Really? Yeah, he was originally someone else's cast. I love Daniel Stern. I just wanted to quickly highlight that i love daniel stern me too and i love him in this film i think yeah. he's incredibly good particularly him i think he nails the physical humor mm, so yeah. well oh yeah uh, his scream later in the film is uh, yeah. just amazing all, all of my last come from daniel stern getting hurt in the sounds he makes like yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> all that little stuff i love uh and then of course uncle buck himself john candy is also in the film as yeah. gus polinski the poker player yeah the lovely man who helps kate yeah. Kevin's mum out. Love seeing John Candy show up. We've talked about him before. Yeah, he's he's beloved by a lot of people. Oh, yeah, for good especially reason. Especially people our um, generation growing up with those movies. Yeah. It's funny that you said Danny DeVito could have done it. You know what Danny DeVito would not have had that Joe Pesci does have? It is mm. like, because Joe Pesci did Goodfellas this year as well. Yeah, how boy is that? It, yeah, crazy. What a, what a year for him. Yeah. But just that scary element to him. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like when he's roughing up Kevin at the end of the film and just you, he just feels like he's got more of that dangerous edge to him that I don't think Danny DeVito would have had. Danny DeVito is Good more point. comedy, whereas Joe Pesci is like scary. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what, but it also in some ways adds to that comedy as well like when he does all that babblish kind of talk when he gets hurt and it's like him yeah yeah trying not to swear try not to swear but it's like that's just like because his character is like like it's not just his roles like in goodfellas yeah but i feel like his personality he's just kind of that kind of guy that just you know involuntarily would swear yeah yeah and so it kind of makes it funnier when you're seeing someone like that try to hold back yeah (laughs) You know, that urge to swear. It's great. And Catherine O'Hara, I love. I think she's sexy as hell in this movie. Uh, And she's just a fantastic performance. She's amazing. She's, I think, probably the underrated gem of this film. You forget how much of the film is tracking with her and her perspective on, or or her side of, of what's happening. But no, she's amazing. Yeah, she's such a great actress. Yeah. Just having to do all those things and, and be funny, like those range of emotions. Mm-hmm. Like the, like you pointed out in that video you sent me, like she's doing so much. Yeah. And so I never much. really appreciated that until the, it was pointed out. And then like, oh, yeah, it really is like a, a range of things she's doing and going mm-hmm. through and fear and sadness. And, you know, she's got to be happy. She's got to be funny. All these things. Yeah. But let's let's jump into the movie proper. So I love the opening titles of this film. Yeah, I love it. Um, you know what? I actually, when I watched it this time, I didn't realize, but I had the volume down on my TV, mm-hmm. and uh, just the like slow pan, like it starts with that house with the light on, it and then it pans out slowly. It felt really creepy. I didn't like. I forgot to turn the sound up. Yeah. But without the sound, and I already had it in my head that this is a bit of a horror movie for kids in a very loose way. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh my god, I didn't realize how creepy this movie was. Like the opening, but then I turned it up and. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's, there's got to be like a brilliant YouTube cut recut trailer of Home Alone as a horror film somewhere out there. I'm sure it exists. Yeah. Oh no. God. I just love now, that. Now you mention, I swear there is. I there's swear I've seen be. it. Yeah. I, I just love that opening title like that blue house with the light on i think it's really it's just it feels super of its time and i guess that's where the nostalgia for me begins is with that image of that little you know logo of the home alone logo yeah which is an amazing logo by the way it's awesome i love the i didn't pick up on it till watching it for this just how like credit to the graphic designer who designed it's really clever it is and the little e the little How little represents Kevin, the little yeah. outside of the family. Uh-huh. It's just really well done. It's just so effective and so simple. It's, uh, it's it amazing. It works super well. Uh, and it sets up the movie beautifully. And I know I said it before, just that slow pan out feels mm-hmm. like, oh, and it's that weird, you know, you know, like that Christmas music that most of the time it's nice and chill and it makes you feel all good inside. But there are some of those Christmas classical christmas jams were a little bit spooky yeah like dun, dun, oh, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. i guess it's john williams doing all that christmas vibe to the soundtrack but the movie does have like a weird spooky mystical thing going on with how oh, kevin does it but you know before kevin makes his weird wish to be to make his family disappear mm-hmm. that opening scene um after you get that very cool title is just the 
the houses in pandemonium. I thought that was a great way to open up the movie. Oh, it was incredible. Yeah, it's a really great sequence just for introducing us to to all the cast. Yeah. To all our main characters, including the villain. The villain's literally in the... He's one right, of the villains. He's in right the, there. Yeah, yeah. In the actual... Dressed as a cop. Um, it's a good plan. The place out. Yeah, it is a good plan. Yeah. <laughs> but I love that. It's We get, you know, all these people coming in. Maybe it's just maybe one line or, yep. you know. But we get this uh, just fantastic little setup of all the different characters. Um, and they're all... I love the way the camera is kind of just floating around them and yep. little snapshots of this, that. I love that he can't figure out whose house it is because everyone says they're a McAllister but they, and their parents are here, but they don't own it. <laughs> it's like, what? Um, and it, it was just a great way to open it and um, shows what Kevin is dealing with. Kevin feels like mm-hmm. he's even smaller in this house, full of things happening and people. And uh, yeah, I, I love that opening scene. This many people, there's no shampoo. Pardon me, are you a parent's home? Yeah, but they don't live here. Tracy, did you order the pizza? Oz did. Excuse me, miss. Are your parents here? My parents live in Paris, sorry. Hi. Hi. Are your parents home? Yeah. Do they live here? No. No. Why should they? All kids, no parents. Probably a fancy orphanage. And, and one thing I want you to remember for later is just where the cop is in the house. And he's, you know, that's the front, obviously, for... The, the criminal, Joe Pesci. Yeah. But his whole thing is, oh, I'm just, you know, checking in on houses in the holidays. Mm-hmm. Everyone's going away. Want to make sure you're all secure, let you know. And the first thing that Peter McAllister says, what, am I being arrested for something? Yeah. Which ties into a nice little fan theory I'll jump into later. Oh, okay. Well, I was I'll say, jump actually, into it now. <laughs> I was going to say, well, before you do, actually, the other good thing you just uh, reminded me of is, yes, he's also scoping out the house, which is also the other key player of this film yeah. is the house the setting and that's the other thing this first scene does so well it's not yeah. just introduces us to the characters it also introduces us to the setting and the layout yeah. Yeah, of this house all this stuff will come back later we'll revisit that staircase you know we'll revisit yeah. that part of the house yeah that's right exactly um i'll, I'll go into the fan but yes, theory go into now. the fan theory yes please because there's a quite a few of them um uh, instead of giving them all in one go i'll just sort of pull them out when they're needed But this fan theory, which I thought was very intriguing, was that Peter McAllister is actually in the mafia, in organized crime. Okay. His brother, Frank, or maybe Catherine O'Hara's brother, Frank, maybe it's his Mm -hmm. brother-in-law. You know, he's always worried about money, thinking about money. Peter McAllister is somehow able to afford for the whole family to get plane tickets to France. Because as Frank points out, you know, he's not paying for these tickets. I mean, also the house they live in. The house that they live in, yeah. yeah. All that jewellery they've got. You're never quite sure what Peter McAllister does as well. <laughs> yeah. So, just the fact that he sees a cop and his first instinct is to say, am I being arrested for something? <laughs> I thought that was so good. Like, <laughs> yeah, these fan good. theories can be so stupid. But they're so much fun. I love that. That's the first one. Um, and I love little things like just the way they stage... From, you know, moment to moment, like you've got Kevin, he's upstairs and he's banging on the floor and then that sort of cuts to the tapping on the glass of the spider. And like you said, we got all this foreshadowing, that's great stuff. But then Kevin enters that scene as well. And then you get the awesome moment where they're looking out the window, looking at the old man shoveling snow and you get Buzz's story about how he would put the bodies in the barrels full of salt. Mm -hmm. He's using the salt to put on the sidewalk and... He would turn them into mummies. And just that moment where yes. Kevin is like, mummies. You know, because he's got a, his, his whole movie, he's going to have a thing with his mum. Um, I just love those little, yeah. just how well written 
all, oh. all of these little scenes and moments in that first 10 minutes. No, are. you're right. And, of course, we get introduced to the old man and the theory behind the old yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's right. It sets him up very sets well. Sets him up too, yeah. And just the sound, the, the sound of his things scraping the sidewalk mm-hmm. and we get a great sound of his boots and all that later. But, um, yeah, really well done. And, and, I mean, you know, it leads up to the point where he's, he's going to get yelled at. What do you think of that scene when he's, he sort of pushes Buzz after Buzz tells him someone's going to have to barf up pizza if he wants his plain, <laughs> plain cheese? <laughs> and he pushes him in and then everything goes quiet once he's sort of knocked everything over and er- the whole room is looking at him. What did you think of that one on this rewatch? I felt like he was getting a bit of a rough time, poor old Kevin. But at the same time, he's being a little bit of a precocious brat at the same time. Yeah. I don't know. It just felt like very relatable. You know, childhood uh, fights, basically. Uncle Frank's very rough on him, isn't he? Uncle Frank is a little rough on him, Calls him a little jerk. Yeah. Look what you did. And in the second film, he threatens to give him a slapping. That's right. He does too. (laughs) What about you? What did you think? What did you think of that scene? I, I just really liked that scene. I mean, so much of the movie is shot from... Kevin's perspective, absolutely. Uh, yep. A lot of times, that I think is really great for like some of those you know horror vibes where he's looking up at mm-hmm. scary people um, because that's a big thing I could relate to when I was a kid. Suddenly also, being confronted by unknown scary characters, but yeah, just that scene, you, you feel that. I guess it's uh, it's not so much shame for Kevin or or guilt, just like you know I'm in trouble. Yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. But then going back to seeing so much of this film through his eyes. Mm. And, you know, having the camera at his eye level, mm. literally, for a lot of the film. I think, going back to what I was saying at the start, about seeing myself in his shoes or seeing, you know... Yeah. It kind of spoke to me in that way, too. I felt like I was seeing a movie through him as a... Even though he's a child, he's getting the same yeah. attention as an adult. You know, yes. He's, he's the same respect and attention, not by... By the filmmakers, you know, in terms of seeing the, oh, the world his, through, yeah, his, through eyes. his eyes. Yeah. yeah. It reminded me of what Spielberg did with E.T. Yeah. He sure. made sure every shot was from the height of Elliot, the main yep. character, which was genius because yeah, everything exactly. is... So this is that kind of yeah. same kind of stuff where yeah. it really felt like, yeah, it, was, it, it worked when I was a kid and obviously I still appreciate the movie and still love it now, but yeah. when I was a kid, it was really like, it really spoke to me, you know, like I was like, yeah. oh, this is a movie for you. You know? Yes, yes. It's good in that sense that it, the main character, like a lot of those old films, I think, where the main character was a kid, mm-hmm. they maybe they were a bit more hammy or cheesy or yeah. poor, I mean, poorly acted. It helps that Macaulay Culkin's a, like an incredible little actor in this, but um, it does also give him more of an arc, character arc, that I don't think a lot of kids' films or family films from that time would have. No, definitely, Just definitely. how he's a bit of a wimp at the start and then he... You know, eventually he's firing guns and you know BB guns and protecting Absolutely. the house. You know, he gets a he gets a big change. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we were talking about this before the show, actually, and that mm. this film was the progenitor for a lot of or the influence for a lot of other films, but they kind of missed the point. I think in terms of them, uh, it was always a cool kid, or it was more. It wasn't as you were saying, kind of this bit of a dweeb. It was kind of this evolution and this growth. Of his character. He's kind of annoying at first. He can't yeah. even pack his own suitcase. Right. He's asking people to help him. I don't know how to pack a suitcase. I've never done this once in my whole life. Tough. That's what Megan said. What did I say? You told Kevin tough. The dope was whining about a suitcase. What am I supposed to do? Shake his hand and say congratulations, you're an idiot? I'm not an idiot. Oh, really? You're completely helpless. Everyone has to do everything for you. She's right, Kev. Excuse me, pupils. I'm a lot smaller than you. He's I mean, less incompetent. <laughs> and um, 
And then by then, you know, next thing you know, he's going shopping. Yes. Yeah. And he's buying groceries, keeping the house all clean. Yeah. Happy Andy is. Um, but he's also having adult conversations with uh, people. Absolutely. Independent and, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, there was so many like other movies that came out in the years, subsequent years after this film that were clearly oh, yeah. inspired by uh, Home Alone. There was a whole cultural thing going on from the early 90s onwards, which I think Macaulay Culkin was very much um, responsible for, where it was leaning into, like, kids cool, kids are cool and the parents are stupid and parents suck. Totally, totally. Like that whole yeah. Bart Simpson thing as well. Maybe Bart Simpson's more responsible for what the thing that I'm trying to get at. Well, we had, like, Blank Check and movies like that. Yeah, like Getting yeah. Even with Dad. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yeah, what was this? It was a Jonathan, I swear <laughs> there was a JTT guy? one, right? I'm not making this up, right? I swear um, there was one. Oh, uh, you mean um, Tom and Huck? <laughs> I don't think so. Speedway Junkie? Walking Across Egypt? <laughs> what? I'll Be Home for Christmas? Wild America? The Tangerine Bear? No, no. <laughs> it was Man of the House, you're thinking of. Man of the House. With Chevy Chase. What were, what were even most of those movies? <laughs> I've never even heard of them. Uh, through the Mobius Strip. <laughs> what? The Bradys. No, I don't know. Coming Home for Christmas. That's 2017. He's still in movies in oh, 2017. Wow. I mean, good on JTT. Where is okay. he? Oh, no. That, is that him? He looks so much like Val Kilmer in some of these pictures. Anyway. Okay. Jonathan Taylor Thomas got... Wow. Career, so many, career turn, maybe. How many young women had him on their wall? I wonder. Top Gun 3, JTT. Oh, please, God, no. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. I think there was this weird kind of like, you know, blank check and getting even with dad and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But you're right. I think Home Alone was a lot more, uh, ma- not mature. How do I put this? It was just more well-written, like, you know? Yes, 100%. It, it wasn't leaning on that trope too much it was sort of uh it was more about kevin and his mum. like that's really what the movie's about absolutely yeah and about family and the yeah. importance of family and yeah yeah um about his mummy issues about his mummy issues yeah sure fear of mummies so obviously we get introduced to all the characters and then he gets that fight as we just talked about oh yeah the big uh, fight. and then he uh gets sent to his room for playing up and he uh, gets angry and wishes that yeah. his whole family was gone. That scene is is brutal when on the rewatch when his mum is talking to him and he's at the top of the staircase. Yeah, and and she's like, "I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night," which I think is a bit unfair. But she's trying to be firm with him, yes, and he's is. like, "I don't want to see you again for the rest of my life." And then she's <sighs> like, "You know, she's trying to take it on the chin and try to be calm." And she's like, "I hope you don't mean that." Yeah. He's like, "I I fucking mean it, ma." <laughs> uh-huh. And then he, you know, he feels like he's made his family disappear. Yeah, which I love. I love that whole playing on that yeah. childhood, you know, magic element. Yeah. Of like this, did I do it? Did I make my parents disappear? Like, well, did I make you, my family disappear? You do get, like, it, there is a very close-up shot of the tree yes. right as he's sinking, you know. And a power cable I wish breaks. my family would just bugger off. Yeah. It, it does feel like it's that careful what you wish for element, which isn't in the second film at all. No, it's not. No. It's it doesn't. It's more like Kevin was just legitimately forgotten accidentally. Mm-hmm. But uh, the second movie, I mean, he was forgotten accidentally. He just boards the wrong plane, mm-hmm. even though it seems like his dad is trying to escape from him <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> but um, but in the first one, it is like I just got sent to my room. I just told my mom I never want to see her again. Yeah, like that's some mean shit. 
and then he's he's, uh, he's left alone. So it's yeah. you really feel what Catherine O'Hara is going through, yeah. trying to get back to her What's son, thinking work? of the last argument they had. That's why it works so well, is not just for the characters and mm. feeling how they're feeling, but also just having that like mystery of like, is it magic? Is it yeah. you know that kind of? Is it wish fulfillment? Is it? Do you want to know? Kind of stuff? Do you want to know who the real uh, villain or the real reason why Kevin gets left behind? Okay, is it's it, that it, fucking annoying neighbor kid that just shows up at the van oh, when everyone's yes, loading that's in, true, doing yeah. the head count. I don't. And he's, he's just going through people's stuff, like pulling out shit and playing with it, <laughs> and then putting it back. Yeah. Is this thing on? Does this have four-wheel drive? <laughs> Does this thing have... It's like, kid, you are fucking <laughs> killing me. Um, know, but that, that that's the real reason. So, no wonder Heather forgot. Yeah. I miscounted. She counted that kid. You know? Well, that's right. She taps him on the... She thought that was Kevin. Yeah. But it's really just this annoying as hell. Anyway, shout outs to that kid. I don't know if he would have got another acting job after yeah. that. Yeah, and shout outs to Heather too. Like, you know... You, <laughs> she was doing she it. Right. She, she tried. Trying. She was trying. It's a lot, a lot of people to remember. It is a lot of people to remember. And they slept in. Exactly. I don't know how you would get through airport security that fast, having <laughs> slept in and still make it in time. Yeah, well, it's it. Yeah, especially these days. Yeah. With, you know, post uh, you yeah. know, the war on terror and everything. I think <laughs> <laughs> security is a lot tighter these days. But um, it's pretty great. Once once uh, Kevin finds out he's alone, that's when the movie starts to... I mean, like I said, I do love that opening sequence of everything happening and then they're, you know, hopping on the plane, he realizes alone. But it, it does start to like the movie calms down for a moment and then mm. you get all the fun stuff of what Kevin's gonna do. Absolutely. Now yes. that he thinks he th- he doesn't realise that there's nothing in his head or in the movie where he's like, Oh, okay, that we actually had a trip to to France planned. I should be on a plane right now, but I'm not. He just mm-hmm. thinks, Oh, I just made my family disappear. Exactly. Which yeah. I never really understood. He's so smart and he can come up with all these con- contraptions and he can oh, engineer all this stuff, but he isn't like, oh, yeah, I'm meant to be on a plane. That's right. That's uh, why the whole family was... <laughs> yeah, but it's also that. just the mind of a child. Like, it's that whole I know. mystery yeah. I can't and magic and just, you know... There's another weird inconsistency, right? The phone lines are down because of the tree branch on the thing. Correct, yep. He can order a pizza later on. Fine. He uses the phone. That's fine. I get it. Maybe they fix the power lines. <laughs> oh, yeah, but why isn't <laughs> Kevin's mom or Kevin's family just ringing that home phone constantly? Yeah, yeah. There should be a shot of Kevin just ignoring the phone ringing because he's a little sissy boy. Like when he hides under the bed. Mm-hmm. Sissy boy? Is that a cancelable term these days? I know feel, what you mean. Just feels a like sca- it is. A, scared, a, scared a wimp. child. Yeah. A wimpy boy. Sure. Wimpy boy is probably better. But why isn't that phone just ringing constantly? If Once once you establish in the film that he is using the phone to call out. Anyway, anyway, I'm not going to get too nitpicky on Home <laughs> Alone. I'll, I'll ruin it for everybody. That's a, that's a fair point, though. It's a massive plot that's hole that's when I was hole. watching it. Like, wait a fucking minute. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that. I can't believe that. Because they definitely try calling the house and they can't get they through. They try, yeah, and they can't get through because the so, phone lines are down. Yeah. Cool. But then he's making phone calls and calling yeah. the cops later. And Anyway. Oh, gee. Yeah, hey, one thing that uh, I just want to reference, because I really loved it. He yeah. goes into Buzz's room. You know, he's playing with all Buzz's shit. Yeah. He opens Buzz's chest of drawers. And it's just like, I remember when I was a kid thinking how cool it would be to be able to get into that chest of drawers. Like, I had an older brother. Mm-hmm. Not that much older, two years. But I could I could imagine what it would be like if he was just older and had all this cool shit. Did you see what was in Buzz's no, chest of drawers? No, don't. Please tell me. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember at all. There's, I'm just going to pull this up. There's actually a whole Home Alone Wikipedia page, of course, or a wiki on Buzz's bedroom. 
It's incredible. Uh, obviously, the pet tarantula is there. Some sports action figures in that thing. There's a BB gun that he's going to pull out and uh, use. Okay. An inflatable shark, a skull flashlight, a Chicago Bulls tin. Okay, cool. He's, that's where he gets the cardboard cut out of Michael Jordan. Is from uh, Buzz's room as well. Nice. The famous or infamous, maybe, photo of Buzz's girlfriend, which oh. was actually a, a young man dressed up in girls' clothes because they thought it would be too... Too mean to actually have a photo of a, a young girl and call her so ugly. <laughs> okay. So, they dressed up as some young man they knew. <laughs> um, you know, he's got posters in his room. You know, he's got, uh, po- you know, Bo Jackson, Axl Rose and whatnot. He's also got a poster for The Incredible Melting Man, which is an old 70s, you know, B, oh, C wow. grade horror film, which I thought was really funny. And it made me wonder what movie they were watching in the start. You know, if, if, if Uncle Frank says... <laughs> the movie's too much. It's probably pretty bad. Mm-hmm. I was like, what movie are they watching? Maybe they're watching oh, some crappy 70s uh, I see. Incredible okay. Melting Man. But, you know, he's also got Playboys in there and all that sort of thing. It's a shame that things like that, we didn't get much of that in the second film. No. Not you at know, all. like how much fun he's having now that he's alone. When he's in New York, he kind of goes to a toy store and it's kind of boring. <laughs> he doesn't really do that much. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, the highlights of that second movie, maybe we'll touch on it more, but whatever. The highlights of that second movie are probably more the the secondary characters, the the pigeon lady, the uh, hotel staff, you know, Tim Curry and Rob Steiner and people like that. That's true. And of course, yes, the pigeon lady. Yes. The pigeon lady. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. Um, The toy store, I also liked Mr. Duncan, I think at the toy store, the owner of the toy store. He's also cool. But um, yeah, you're right. It just really doesn't have that charm, the first movie, at all. In the toy store, not very believable that a kid of Kevin McAllister's age would be at all excited about being gifted two turtle doves. And you've got to give one to somebody else. What kind of shitty <laughs> present is that? <laughs> and that dude owned the shop. Um, still made Kevin pay for it, too. Yeah, I know. Um, one, one thing, too, that I just want to uh, jump on while we're here is, like, when Kevin's home alone, like we said, he's a bit of a little wimp. Um, and I know, like I referenced earlier, he's sort of, I like the idea of Home Alone as a kid's horror film. Mm-hmm. And there are certain scenes like the furnace is the big one that I think scared a lot of us young kids oh, when yeah. we were watching it. Myself included, yeah. Um, but other moments in the film too, like I mentioned that opening, how I accidentally had it on mute and it made the movie feel creepier. Yeah. There are like scenes where it feels like Kevin is in danger and it's like, ooh, this is this is kind of spooky, or just maybe the specific things that just give me the, you know, Russell my Jimmy's a little bit. Pardon the expression. One of them is where Harry thinks the house is empty. He knows Kevin is there home alone. And he's trying to look in the window. There's a scene where Kevin is hanging ornaments on the tree, and he doesn't realize it. But Harry's face is right there in the window, looking at him. And it's not much if you look at a, a freeze frame. It doesn't seem like much, but when I was watching it this time, I was like. That would scare the living piss out of me. Yeah. Just not realizing that there's someone watching me do mm-hmm. this thing. And it because it's Joe Pesci's character and he is so intimidating yeah. in the film and in real life, I assume. Uh, but and it th- goes back to that whole through the eyes of a kid. You yeah. Know? Like that's what movie's so good at doing is yeah. when the horror elements come in, not too scary that you can't, you know, the whole family can't enjoy the movie, but it's scary that for a kid... Yeah. Uh, and even my kid watching it, you can be like, oh man, Matt, you can imagine what that would be like. Yeah. You'd be like terrified by that idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, and another one that was similar is the van following him home in broad daylight. Yes. And he's walking home. Oh my God, and right? Then this van following him. I was like, oh, this feels 
creepy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we grew up with like, like those sort of stories, away. right? Yeah. Like, don't you know? Don't get in cars. You don't pay people you don't know. You know all that kind of stuff. It plays on those kind of yes. myths and stories that you would hear from. Yeah. Just don't. Do. Don't don't. Yeah. Jump in a van with strangers. Yeah. Um. Good solid advice, I think, for young <laughs> think people. So too. Yes. <laughs> and for generally anybody. Just anyone, really. Yeah. But th- those moments, like, I think you could pull those out of Home Alone and drop them into a straight thriller or a straight horror movie. Absolutely. And you wouldn't have to change a, a, like any details of how they did it and it would like it would fit so well. Like just these weird moments like that. I'm scared of spiders too, so Oh yeah. Him oh. picking that spider up, I was like, You are brave kid oh, picking yeah, Dan- up that Dan- tarantula. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Daniel Stern's scream is justified. Oh yeah, gosh. <laughs> like, holy shit, that'll be scary. Yeah. Um and the only other like brutal part, I don't think the old man's that scary, but it's when they're picking him up at the end and they're hanging him on a coat rack and saying he's gonna chew his yeah. fingers off and maybe we should burn him and they're getting all like Ah, uh, they're going to mutilate this little dude. <laughs> yeah. That's um, why, like, he's... Hectic you know, shit. Oh, yeah, man. He's uh, quite, um, not only is he uh, capable, but he's yeah. also quite uh, brave from where he began to where he ends up at the end of the film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, one, one thing that makes it less believable for me is I wish Macaulay Culkin... It's weird having this critique of a young actor that does such a great job. <laughs> okay. But I feel like... If he had toned it down, maybe some of that precocious kind of being a bit too old for his, you know, oh, coming yeah. off much older than he, because he's having that adult conversation with the old man. You should talk to your son. It's like, what? You're fucking eight years old, kid. What the hell are you How talking you about? Know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but uh, I mean, hey. it's, a, it's a great scene, though, and we'll get to that later. Yeah, I can see what you're talking about. I mean, the, uh, he, is this toothbrush uh, approved by the National American Association? <laughs> Whatever it is, a dental yeah, association. Yeah. You know, yeah, like he does turn up a little bit in some some moments, and that and that's a credit to him at the time. Uh, but as on the rewatch, I'm like, maybe if I believed that he was, if he had toned that stuff down a little bit, it would have had more of an impact on me mm-hmm. because I would have believed his transition from wimpy kid to getting more confident. And capable like, and so on, yeah. He hides under the bed when a cop knocks on the door or something. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, he's shopping and having his adult conversations. I just think it maybe is a bit too quick. But the filmmakers were so stoked that they had this professional young acting kid. Yeah, fair. And they wrote all these scenes for him. You know, yeah. like in... Same as Uncle Buck, he's got these great moments. Like he's holding his weight with John Candy in that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, one one thing that um, I really love about the movie is lots of things that we love about the movie. You know, it goes without saying, but I love yeah. all the little side characters that we get, uh, mm-hmm. especially when he's going shopping and he has that back and forth with the checkout chick, you know, and she's only got five, six lines, but but I just oh, always... This is not the toothbrush stealing scene. This is not, later. Not the yeah. toothbrush. That old lady is a mean old lady that <laughs> accuses him of, of stealing... <laughs> Uh, that does lead to a fun little moment where he gets to like get on an ice rink and he's like, whoa, going through people's legs. And yeah, it's really dumb. Yeah. But no, no, no. This lady is when he's doing the big shopping oh, section big and he's got a coupon for the orange yep. juice or something. Yes, that's right. But I just yep. love their little interaction. 1983. Okay. Are you here all by yourself? Ma'am, I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Where's your mom? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? 
He's at work. What about your brothers and your sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Uh, I can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. And yeah, like I said, she's only got a few lines, but uh, I always remembered that character. Just the way she's looking at him when he first rolls up to the to the cashier and everything. But there's uh, there's a lot of other little characters that just slide in for a moment or two that are very memorable. The the Santa Claus where he's got a he's having a ciggy, he's gotta quickly pop his beard on when he sees Kevin. Oh, yeah. And Kevin's aware that he's talking to an adult that isn't really Santa. But he's got to play along. What do you want for Christmas? You know, all that mm. stuff. And even, um, so lots of fun side characters. The guy in the in the cop shop that's eating the donut in the family oh, crisis yeah, center. Oh, yeah, he gets the bit of donut stuck on his little moustache. You notice that as well? Yeah. He gets it stuck on the phone. On the phone, and so sorry. He's, yes, he's on got the, phone, the receiver yeah. and he's just yeah. talking. And Oh, my God, he's gross. Uh, but the little characters are great. And even the... Um, like the family supporting characters are great too. Yeah. Like Buzz, I, I think. Oh, of course, I think Buzz plays a very important role in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's only a small little bit, but um, it, you know, like we were talking about earlier, how Kevin feels like he's always getting the rough end of the stick, and a lot of that is from Buzz. You know, Buzz is the dude that instigates the whole thing at the very beginning of the film. Absolutely, uh, but it's all of Buzz's equipment and stuff that. Kevin is going to use to defend the house or most of it, you know, like the BB gun, mm-hmm. the tarantula, the fireworks that he pulls mm-hmm. out of there. The Jordan cut out. Yep. I love it when he's looking at the pawn and he's like, um, hardly any clothes on anyone. Yeah. <laughs> he throws, <laughs> he it, throws away, it away. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't really, he wasn't really reading a porno. They had, they had cut in like <clears throat> different pages of the I'm magazine. Sure. Um, did you have any other favorite like side characters or family character, anyone in the film that... Um, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to say side because I do love, obviously, John Candy. He's just fantastic. He's great. Yeah. And he's got that weird story about how he left his kid at a funeral home. Yeah. And he started talking again after six to eight weeks or something. Yeah. I which, mean... Yeah, which we'll come back a little bit later too. I mean, all of his stuff is just great because it's all improvised. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know so, that. So, like, it's just classic John Candy. Also, the fact that he was only paid scale, which um, is basically another name for minimum wage for an actor. Really? So, he was paid, what is it, $414. That is it. Holy shit. Yep. But that seems like, would that have been a favor to, to like, John Hughes, who he had done those other films with? 100%. So, yeah, they were on good. Because he was a big name at that point. Yeah, and they were, you know, you know good mates, yeah. basically. They had done so planes, would, trains, and automobiles. Correct, and, yeah. yes. Um, which is why it's funny, too, because his introduction to this movie is obviously he's part of a polka band, and he gives yeah. Catherine O'Hara, um, Kevin's mum, a lift, yeah. and it feels very planes, trains, and automobiles stuck in an airport. Yeah. As a resort is an automobile rather yeah, than a plane. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So it almost feels like a little nod to that movie. I noticed that, too. I got a little kick out of watching them crowded in a little back of a truck playing songs. Yeah. But it also, it was kind of cool seeing not just John Candy, but also seeing John Candy sharing the same screen with Catherine O'Hara. He's, yes. He's yep. a fellow Second City alumni. Absolutely, yeah. And that's something we were referencing when we did our Saturday Night Live episode. Correct. And we had previously talked about John Candy before, maybe in a roundup. Yeah, I swear we talked about Second City in that. I can't remember what it was for. It might have been the Cool Runnings episode, actually. It might have been, yeah. But I feel like we touched on him. Oh, no, it must have been Cool Runnings. It was awesome to see John Candy in this. And yeah, yeah, I've I've really got to jump back and um, 
rewatch some of the Canadian, you know, like Second City cast that went on to do those movies, Waiting for Guffman and yes. stuff like that. That you you got me onto those titles. I haven't seen them yet, but they're um, they're definitely like yeah, best in, the back in show. Of my head. Watch best in show. Best in show. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Go back and listen to our uh, Saturday Night Live episode too, if you want uh, a bit more on you know that sort of thing. We will yeah, reference absolutely. that. Uh, I think the other one that's obviously really great side character is the creepy next door neighbor old man. Yeah, he um, is great. You know, who obviously is integral for the story, but mm. also the themes of the whole movie. Yeah, you know, he has that very important scene with Kevin when they're at the church talking about the importance of family. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Especially with an older brother. Deep down, you always love them. But you can forget that you love them. And you can hurt them and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. You want to know the real reason why I'm here right now? Sure. I came to hear my granddaughter sing. And I can't come and hear her tonight. You have plans? No, I'm not welcome. At church? Oh, you're always welcome at church. I'm not welcome with my son. Absolutely. Regardless of my thoughts on, you know, precocious little Macaulay Culkin giving a speech, it, it is a great scene. And it, you're right, it's integral to the main theme of what, you know, what Homeland's trying to do. Yeah, I just love, um, I love the whole little chat they have. Kevin says to the uh, to the old creepy man, uh, "My grandparents got me a sweater with a bird on it. Yeah. That's nice." And <laughs> Kevin replies, "Not for a guy in second grade. You can get beaten up for wearing that." <laughs> uh, that just makes me laugh. It was just some great little dialogue, and yeah, just a whole, you know, how misunderstood he is, and learning that he'd had that argument with his son and they hadn't talked in years, and. The whole warning that he obviously gives to Kevin that, you know, if you don't you know, reconcile with your family, if you don't work past these trivial fights and disagreements, you'll uh, potentially lead to a sad, lonely life like he's been experiencing. But then, of course, it turns yeah. around. He does. That's right. He does talk to, reach out to his son and, um, yeah. So Gives him that creepy little wave at the end where he's only <laughs> he's moving his creepy. fingers. Yeah, yeah, he's a little, little creepy. But, but, but he's, he's trying to keep a, keep a low profile when he's given that wave. I get it. Hey, while we're talking about Old Man Marley, do you want another little fan theory? Mm-hmm. I liked this one quite a bit. Old Man Marley is Kevin from the future. Okay. So, Marley was actually very important to the story. Uh, I'm reading this from a Screen Rant article, by the way, everybody. Sorry. Mm-hmm. He saved Kevin when he was about to be killed by Harry and Marv. See, even just that sentence makes it sound intense. He's about to be killed by Harry and Marv. I guess he was. Uh, he enabled him to come to friendly terms with his family and much more. But all of this seems too good to be true. Uh, someone online suggests that old man Marley is actually Kevin from the future. And that is why he can help Kevin ever so easily, because he had family issues himself in the future, caused by the events of the film, and wanted to prevent this Kevin from developing a gap between his family and save himself from the disadvantage of, of losing a family, just like he had. Okay. That was amazing. I love that I one. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do love that character as well. Uh, my favorite, I know I've said this before, my favorite is Catherine O'Hara. She's not a side character at all. She's... You know, we're with her yeah. for half of the film, essentially. Yeah, oh, yeah, or at least she's... one third of the film. I don't think it'd be fair to call her the key lead, even. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I've already, you know, shouted out her 
the range that she has to give in this movie. Um, I just think she's damn sexy. I never realized it when I was growing up, but when I was watching it this time, I think she needs a little shout out. Okay. Maybe it's, you know, it's all subjective and whatnot, but I was like watching it going, oh, damn. Peter McAllister, you know, you better not, uh, you better maybe show a bit more enthusiasm. You know, lose <laughs> sexy old Catherine O'Hara from 1990. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine I, O'Hara is a, absolutely a, you know, attractive woman, but uh, I never, never thought of her in that way. But uh, now you say it, you know what? Sure. I'll put that thought in your head now. Yeah. You know what? I spent the last episode of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles talking about April O'Neil. Yeah, that's true. And I was thinking about it. Catherine O'Hara is way more attractive than April O'Neil. It needs to be said. It can't yeah. go unsaid, Jimmy. Yeah. Or maybe it can't go unsaid. <laughs> no, no. I mean, <laughs> stick to your guns, man. Stick to your guns. Conviction. Um, that's right. God damn it. I'm sticking Catherine to my Har- guns. needs not only more recognition for her acting, but uh, more recognition for her attractiveness. Yes, absolutely. Even in something like Shit's Creek. Uh, which I think, you know, that's the main reason you'll hear Catherine O'Hara's name popping up here and there. Absolutely. People say, have you seen Schitt's Creek? I have seen it. It's great. It's very, very funny. I recommend people check out that series on uh, Netflix, maybe? Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. She definitely got a second... I think it feels like it's a second um, wind in her yeah. career, but I don't know. It's, I didn't hear much of her until But she probably, she probably hasn't gone anywhere. It's probably just that I'm... Yeah. I'm sure she's been acting the whole time. I think maybe it's one of those things where maybe in Canada or America, people... She was much more in the lexicon. Yeah. Just in Australia, we didn't... Maybe the movies weren't as um, pumped up here or the TV roles weren't as mm-hmm. sort of given as much attention. I'm not sure. Maybe it just wasn't on my radar. Don't know. But... Uh, you know what, we were sort of getting into the second half of the film. We we mentioned Kevin going shopping and all that fun stuff. But this is where he has, you know, his arc kind of rolls around. He is now ready to defend the house. That's this it. is my house. I must defend it. Yes. So, <laughs> and yes. This, and this Which is, is where I got vibes of um, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. People trying to invade a home. Some, you know, the main person holding a gun, having to defend it from things trying Ooh, to yeah, get in. Yeah, I mean, it is basically a home invasion movie. It absolutely is. And that's the only connection that I have to it. <laughs> just the fact that it's okay. little Kevin McAllister doing it. But also, uh, you when I mentioned that to you before, you... You brought up Assault on Precinct 13. Yes. It's like, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great, another great movie. And it's a nice sort of like, that's just the third act. And funny that we, in my memory, mm. this third act was much larger and played yeah. such a big integral part of the film, but it's really not. I mean, it is. It's a great part. It's, it's all fantastic and super memorable, but it's really in runtime. It's quite a short third act. Man, you know what? Watching it this time, Joe Pesci's at the start. Of course, we all know that. But you only get um, Harry and Marv together at like 28 minutes. Yeah, At the 28-minute mark, you see both of the bandits. So, everything leading up to that point is just story build-up and character build-up for that um, where it kicks off. Yeah, which which I thought was... It was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, the movie's only like 100 minutes. Yeah. And at the 30-minute mark, the main two villains show up yeah yeah i mean we are introduced to joe pesci right at the start so at least he's in the picture but yeah you're kind of right but it's interesting the way i will before we get into the third act though interesting just in terms of how it's structured we talked about that opening scene how we get this great introduction to all the cast of characters but also the house Mm. but we also when you're talking about when when we get harry who comes in on yeah, 20, what, 20, 30 minutes later? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, when that happens, that's when 
we've gotten Catherine O'Hara and the rest of the family are off in France mm-hmm. and Kevin's home alone. And the film basically splits up into the three plot lines. Yeah. So in a lot of movies we have a plot line A, B, and C. Mm. And this movie is kind of very clear cut A, B, and C. It's um kind of interesting. When you're talking about in terms of screenwriting kind of concepts, yeah. like you could just very easy to break down this movie in terms of you've got plot A, Kevin McAllister line, and then you've got plot B, Catherine O'Hara uh, and the family, and then plot mm. C, the uh, wet bandits scoping out the house and all that. And then those all intertwine. They all meet up, obviously, in the third act. Yeah, you're right. We get like the three perspectives of... um, Yeah, like, yeah, like each party in this film is yeah, now is we're, we're following them yeah, yeah which is really cool and the way it juggles and balances them um is really great because it's not like something like those old horror flicks where you're never seeing it from the perspective of the villains or you know the, mm-hmm. the antagonists um oh just, yeah these yeah. are these are some actually quite fleshed out interesting villains i mean there has been a lot of movies yeah. especially when you more recently superhero movies where the villains are much more uh, lacking substance than these wet bandits are yeah so it's refreshing it's nice these are they actually feel like integral parts of the story yeah. you know not just a footnote i love it when they're just at some point in the film they're just on the street announcing their plans to everybody <laughs> we come back at nine o'clock <laughs> <laughs> and we do all, and it's like, okay, you, you're really uh, throwing caution to the wind with just announcing your plans to burglarize this house. Uh, but yeah, we, once the movie kicks into that, I think, you know, like earlier on in, in the potty, I said that it was hard for me to separate nostalgia from mm. enjoying like the mm. quality of the film. I think so much of the film that I enjoyed are the things that we've been touching on and referencing so far. And when it got to the third and final act of the house being defended yeah that is what the film is kind of famous for Mm -hmm. but that's the part that i enjoyed the least it's so funny you say that i felt exactly the same yeah yeah when i was a kid it was completely the other way around and that's why from my memory it felt like i think maybe that's part of the reason why that felt like it was a larger part of the film to me like that felt like the majority of the film was that yeah but it's actually complete opposite that's I, I Absolutely the minority of the film. majority of the film is the drama and the family and Kevin navigating the space of, you know, being home alone. And yeah, yeah and, and I really enjoyed all that. Not to say that there is some really fun... Oh, there is fun You know, pratfalls yeah. and gags and so on. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. It definitely, when I was a kid, that was, ah, uh, that was definitely the highlight. I loved it. It was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. It was, it was, it was very good. Uh, I like the iron falling on the dude's head. Yes. Have, have you got a favorite? Uh, uh, yeah, I, I like the I like the tin cans on the staircase, but I think probably my favorite is actually when Joe Pesci goes through the door and there's like a glad wrap covered with glue and he hits his face and he takes it off and then there's like a fan and it oh. blows the feathers oh, and yeah. hits him in the fan. I don't know why. Just that whole chain of events yeah. just made me laugh and then of course it leads up to the next scene where you see Harry and yeah. he's like, why are you looking like a chicken? And that just made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. so, that's yeah. it for me. How about you? What's what's your... Uh, oh, man. I'm a man of simple pleasures. Uh, I love BB gun in the nuts. BB gun in the nuts? Yeah, that just that, Just that, uh, the yeah. shot of... I was thinking about it on the way over and I just started like having a little chuckle. Just thinking about that gun coming out of the doggy door and just pointing directly <laughs> at that dude's dick before yeah. he goes off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's all I need. Um, 
but it is yeah it is really fun going through that and you're right as an adult watching it i did love all of the build-up as a kid as well i remember as a kid really enjoying the opening sequence Mm. and him going shopping and all of those little pieces the part that i didn't love as a kid was when he's in the church talking to the old man yes so I can't read the fuck up. Even on this watch, I like I've already expressed my issues with that scene, um, which you know uh, I shouldn't have an issue with. The problem is that he's too good of a little kid actor. Essentially, yeah, fair enough. He's too mature for yeah, his age. See, this, see, yeah, that scene for me was the highlight. Watching oh, it this yeah, time, nice. I loved that scene. I thought it was so sweet. The- Him having that scene with the old man, like I just thought it was like a real. Just loved all the dialogue they shared, and it so was on. nice. Um, and, and, and it injects a bit of like adult shit into it. My, but my favorite exactly. stuff was the yeah. Catherine O'Hara scenes as well. Oh, yes. And the yeah. build up to it, um, which is interesting. And then once the, the final 10 minutes, when it feels like Kevin is in danger again, mm-hmm. is when I, I kind of perk back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he's getting that flying fox to the other house and he's yeah. going to call the cops on one, try to get to the other, but they are one step ahead of him. Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's so interesting. But it's a part of also what makes this movie such a classic, I think, mm. is that it works not just uh, for kids, but also for adults. It's layered. There's lots of things to enjoy for different audiences. And, and yeah, you're right. Like, it's something that, I mean, I had seen this film a hundred times, right? But I really didn't pick up on how it shifted between Kevin's perspective to what's happening and his mother's perspective, mm-hmm. and just that contrast between the ki- like Kevin going from um, stoked that his family's just gone. Yeah, I love that moment where he's at the dinner table or the breakfast table, wondering what's going on, and he's got little floating heads around him, mm-hmm. and one of them is like, you know, you're les incompetents, Kevin. You are such a disease, and then it's like, you know, Buzz saying, "I'm going to feed you to my pet tarantula." <laughs> <laughs> And he remembers Uncle Frank calling him a little jerk, which I still think is really harsh. Yeah. Um, Uncle Frank feels like he needs to be... No one ever pulls him in. Like, hey, don't don't say you're going to slap my son. Don't call my kid a little jerk. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But um, I love, uh, I loved all those those bits. I can't remember what I was saying. <laughs> What's something that... That, that jerk line. The, like, the that's something that's going to like stick with a kid for potentially the rest of their life, you know? Yeah. Cause Maybe he's going to be, uh, you know, like... Yeah. Have a bit of a resentment or some Self-es- sort of self-esteem, self-esteem issues. issues. Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> yeah. it's it's the thing that kind of like leads into that big quiet stare where it's from his perspective just looking out at people. It's And it just feels so rough, even as a kid. But no, sorry, I, I was off track. I was talking about just that difference between or, or picking up on this rewatch, just mm. how it shifts from the mum to Kevin's perspective really seamlessly. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's sort of the mum's storyline is there to jump back to, to remind you of like, oh yes, like grounding it in reality. This mum will do anything to get home. Which no, I thank you for bringing that amazing. up. I think yeah. you're bringing it up because yeah, the transitions I think are so good mm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that I definitely want to mention before we wrap up. When she's is- begging people at the airport and she's trying to offer them like rings and watches and stuff. And yeah. she's like, please, please, I beg you, you know? Oh yeah. yeah. It's just great in that scene, but also just, um, just every time it cuts between the two of them, yeah. it has these really great little transitions. Um, yeah. It's like each scene is ending each other's conversation. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, for example, we get the mum when she's sitting on the plane being like, oh, you know, I'm just feeling like I forgot something, which, you know, we can all relate to. We always have those moments like, oh, did I lock the door? Did I leave the, you know, did I leave the heater on? Yeah. And then, of course, it cuts straight to Kevin. 
you yes, know, and at yes. home. Um, Mom? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it just does that back and forth and back and forth. And every scene kind of feels like it just connects yeah. beautifully into the, the editing in this is so good. It's amazing. And, yeah. and the writing's great. And I feel like John Hughes, like people say about him, he used to be able to write a script in a weekend. Yeah. And he had wow. so many scripts he had written. And I feel like that's just in his DNA of when he's doing the screenwriting. Mm-hmm. He's thinking of editing in the in the screen right you know yeah because because it's happening in a lot of his other films well totally you mentioned before the movie's only what 100 minutes 100 minutes yeah, yeah. and it's so tight it's so tight yeah like like we were saying that that intro how you're getting the the house and the people we, we've mentioned that in earlier but just how it goes from the scene to the scene with kevin and buzz and talking about old man and then the scene to you know waking up in the morning mm-hmm. it's it's just so tight that that first 10 15 minutes it just moves so well. You Doesn't know? it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, but, um, I mean, towards, as, as the film kind of, are we wrapping up? Are we getting towards the I end? I think we of are, Home yeah. So, obviously, we get the final climatic third act where all the uh, very memorable hijinks happen. The very Three Stooges, I'd say, almost, style slapstick in some ways. Just this very oh, yeah, physical totally. comedy. People are falling over. You, you showed me that article before about... A doctor's opinion oh, on how yes. many times they would have died if they, yeah. if they were real injuries. Who was it? it? Screen Junkies, I think it was, did it? We might try and put this in the screen note in the in the notes for the episode. But yeah, they did a um, they interviewed a a doctor, and there's this really cool little uh, video where it's just uh, voiceover <laughs> explaining what injuries each of the uh, <laughs> yeah. Marv and Harry would have in Home Alone One and Two, and the final conclusion was that. 23 of the injuries in both those movies would have resulted in death. Yeah. So, <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. It's so good. It's pretty fucked up. I mean, I feel like this movie, so many people know the beats of this film. Yeah. Do, do, you, do you think people should re-watch it, like, just for nostalgia's sake, or do you think people could re-watch it legitimately as an enjoyable film? That's That's where I struggle. I'm like... What part of me enjoys this for nostalgia and what part of me enjoys it for it's its, on its own merits? But but I think if I try to put nostalgia aside, I think it is like well-constructed. Everything yeah. we've been saying about it, like well-acted, well-written, you yeah, know, I agree. well-paced. Definitely this is a Christmas movie every Christmas. Yeah. We obviously mentioned at the start of the show that this is you know Christmas in July. It's fitting that we uh, do this yeah. movie, but... Um, yeah, this movie's played on Australian TVs every Christmas. Yeah. And I feel like I check it out every Christmas. Yeah. Usually, you know, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. Mm. And usually when it's unintentionally, I end up watching it anyway because it is so good. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Part of the way I look at this film is through those eyes of nostalgia. But watching it for this, where I was just... It's not Christmas time. I'm not in the Christmas spirit. I'm just watching it because it's the the Christmas movie, I think. Mm. But because I'm like, I'm going to, you know, look at this movie for this. And yeah, I felt the same as you. I'm like, wow, this movie is actually just a really well-made movie. There's, yeah, props to everybody. Writing, editing, directing, acting, so on. Yeah, definitely. Production design. Production design also. Like, the color palette that's used in this film. The red and the green on the winter's white snowy white yeah uh is just so christmasy um the house and how like warm it feels and the way it's decorated and you're right it's yeah. just 
Ah, it just feels like Christmas, this movie. And I love that it's set, you know, a lot of John Hughes films are set in like the Chicago suburbs. Mm -hmm. There's all these memes online about how they're meant to be middle class, but they're, you know, middle middle class (laughs) in the 90s is the home alone household. And it's like, no, I think they're meant to be very rich. Yeah. But, um, you know, even though we're saying that, yes, the film has its own merits, I fully acknowledge that the amount of nostalgia I'm getting in Mm -hmm. that opening title and the first... 10 15 minutes i know every line it's like a drug <laughs> it is you know it's yeah. literally like i'm getting some kind of chemical um uh-huh. enjoyment out of this film but uh hey would you be in the mood for some more fan theories i would i teased a few earlier i gave you a couple uh here's here's the rest of them all right uh so gus is the poker player played by john candy yep. that's gonna get Catherine Hara on the uh bus ride home mm-hmm. gus is the devil Okay. Didn't realize this, but Gus is the devil. <laughs> okay. Kevin's mother wanted to get back home to her son so bad, she made a bargain with the devil in the airport. Oh. So, Kate said she would sell her soul to the devil himself to get back home to her son. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, it's at that moment that she says that, that Gus walks over and offers to help her get home. So, there are several things- He that- does kind of just pop in, he doesn't does. he? At that moment, he comes right yeah. in. Yeah. And he's over the shoulder too. Like, you know, the devil is even on the- Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. This one's not bad. I like this one. Yeah, so it it says here that there are several things that presumably line up here. The Scranton Airport is near a crossroads, which lines up with making an offering to the devil near a crossroads. That's in the original, you know, old story. As soon as she said yes to him, he pointed to the rental van that could take her home. To add to the myth of dealing with the devil in Home Alone, she got home at the same time she would have if she had just taken the next plane which meant she sold her soul for nothing. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Kevin's dad is a mobster. We've covered that one. I thought that was very funny. Uh, Uncle Frank is the real villain. I fucking hate Uncle Frank. Yeah. I was going to say, he just sounds like... uh, Is this written by you, this fan theory? He's an absolute piece of shit. Yeah, this is my... (laughs) No, no, it's not my one. Okay. Uh, This is a Screen Rant article. We'll pop these and the Screen Junkies one too in the link. But uh, it's saying Uncle Frank is very prominently shown to have a natural hatred for Kevin, yes, and jealousy of his brother's income. Ooh, yes. Um, So, the Mm -hmm. speculation online was that Uncle Frank may have hired Harry and Marv to rob the house and make Kevin the prime suspect as he was the only one alone in the house. (laughs) And the kid making the crime that much more believable um some even believe that uncle frank hired the wet bandits to come take care of kevin in the home invasion Ooh. Uh, and that him being left behind was all part of his elaborate plan no really because like i said earlier the reason kevin's left behind truly is that annoying little kid neighbor yeah true, go on through everyone's shit little prick uh this is the one that i i had thought of while watching the film okay. it was one of my little dot points here on our little google doc does Ke- does the dad care about kevin mm. especially in home alone 2 when kevin is trying to catch up with him at the airport and the dad is just seen walking off ignoring his his child's cries for yeah help. but then he, he but also is it though because he's also kevin's also seeing another guy that looks very similar just because they're wearing the same jacket once he's on the plane and no, no, when he's walking through the airport. That's why he gets mis- oh, that's why he gets misled because it's You think that maybe he's not even yelling out to his dad. Yeah. That potentially maybe he's rallying out to someone else and that's why his dad doesn't respond because it's another man who's wearing the same 
outfit. Oh, Jimmy. But then my fan theory doesn't work. <laughs> okay. So, Kevin's right. father hates him. Again, okay, going uh-huh. to the family. This theory proposes that Peter McAllister shares no bond or loving relationship with his son, Kevin. Rather, seeks to somehow get rid of him. I, d- I did watch the film and I thought he doesn't really treat Kevin in a much of a loving yeah. way. He gives him a hug at the end and then just sort of puts him down and walks away. He's got his hands full. <laughs> he's got a lot of kids. I mean, he's calling home, asking people, asking neighbors and family as well it's not just the mum he, he also speaks does a tiny little bit of French and then says I'm looking for my son and hangs up the phone yeah so he's trying he's literally on the phone like I'm looking for my son have you seen him that's such that's maybe the dumbest question I've ever seen. <laughs> no one even thinks just to call the house once the phone lines but all right. yeah, okay, okay. so okay here we go so he wants to get rid of Kevin the uh-huh. rare interactions between the two in all movies of the series starts with Peter scolding Kevin Kevin's family was absolutely emotionally abusive, one person said online. Mm. The second movie, like we were just saying, starts with Peter very suspiciously leaving Kevin behind on purpose in the airport. Um, so, just, you know, more evidence that the dad doesn't really give a shit about mm-hmm. Kevin. Mm. Okay, okay. N- none of these theories are very good. The last one was <laughs> the, the last one is Kevin is dead. I don't know if you want to hear the Kevin is dead theory. <laughs> yeah, that's I do. A bit, yeah, that's please. a bit grim. Okay. Possibly one of the darkest theories in the list. This theory suggests that Kevin is actually dead and in the form of a ghost is terrorizing his family. It's like Casper. Yeah, he's Casper. Uh, by putting toy cars under their paths and causing mayhem. I don't, <sighs> what does that got to do with the ghost? This came from a writer for the Daily Beast. Nobody actually thought Kevin would join them on the trip to Paris because he's a spirit tethered to the house. Ooh, and they call him a disease and is the only troublemaking child out of 15. And Kate also seems very perplexed when Gus brings up that he left his child in a funeral parlor for a whole day, signaling maybe her son is also in a grave, possibly nearby. Ooh. Oh, that's some dark shit. We, okay. I, I mentioned that John Candy's got the whole uh, story about being, um, yeah, leaving his kid in a funeral home. That was a weird one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that theory explains why there's so many uh, references to angels. I mean, we forgot to, can't believe we forgot to mention the, yeah. the film that, um, <laughs> that uh, Kevin is yeah. watching at the start and reuses later on throughout the film. The uh, Angels with... What is it called again? Sorry, it's, Angels. It's, it's the funniest title ever. It's Angels Ang- with Filthy Souls. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Um, I love that. I love that little movie within a movie. And I didn't know this, but it's not a real movie. They actually... No, I always thought when I was a kid that it was a real movie. Yeah. Hands down. Me too. It was some old film noir. Because the way it's like all the costume design, the way it's shot and acted. Yeah. Is it Charlie? Too bad Charlie's not in charge anymore. No, it's not Charlie. Who is it? I can't remember who he says is in charge anymore, but those lines like... You filthy animal. Yeah. Yeah. Keep the change. Yeah. They stick in people's heads. It's so good, that little mini movie. And then in Home Alone 2... They do more of that as well. Yes. Yeah. Get on your knees and tell me you love me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is much worse because he was just about to kill his girlfriend. Yeah. But you know what? Speaking of that too, you've got angels with filthy souls just for the whole Kevin is dead thing. Yeah. Well, they have an angel thing. And then in, on the... Did you see what book the dad was reading on the plane? No. He was reading a book called Nobody's Angel. Oh, wow. What's all this angel stuff, Jimmy? Yeah. I like it. Uh, so the Kevin is dead one. I mean, all of these are very much a bit of a stretch, but uh, you know, gave us a chance to talk about those things, so that's fine. I like them, man. Thank you for bringing them up. They're always fun. I always I remember back in Cracked, they used to do a bunch of. Oh yeah, I used Cracked. to like, like reading the Cracked ones when they would do fan theories of movies. So it's always always good fun. Oh god, I haven't read Cracked in so long. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is it still a thing? Sure, it's I don't, still a thing. Uh, I, I think know. it is. 
I um they used to have a cool podcast as well where they would Yeah. Well a lot know, of those people have left, so like that at least Michael the ones Swain, that are, Michael Swain and people like that are on to other things now. Speaking mm. of good movie podcasts, if you listen to this, check his one out. It's pretty good. Has he got a movie podcast? Yeah, Small Beans. Oh, no, I didn't know that. I'll, yeah, I'll give it a listen. I, he's on He's on the episode. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but I think he's he's part of Small Beans. Okay. So, like he's, I've heard his video game podcast. His video game one's podcast. good um, yeah. sometimes, I, sometimes I don't like his co-hosts, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> Fair enough. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. But yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of it. We want to talk yeah. a little bit more about... Um, We've got to do a little bit on Home Alone 2. Home Alone 2, yeah. yeah. We've well, only we'll... referenced it. I, I think people get the idea that what my opinion might be on it just doesn't hold a candle to the first film. Yeah, I think I think it's still a decent movie, um, but yeah. it's very much a sequel. Yeah. Follows a lot of the same beats, has a lot of the, you know, same kind of, you know, ideas and concepts. But it does further some of the action, though, of course, the action does feel a little weird because he's less, you know, protecting his home from invaders and more just... Just straight up assaulting people. Exactly. <laughs> so it feels a little awkward, but... I never realised that. But it does at least heighten him. We get, of course, the, you know, mm. Marv getting electrocuted and it gets some very memorable... Oh yeah, moments. You, you know, know Marv action being, moments. Marv being electrocuted has come up on the podcast before. <laughs> it has. Yeah, <laughs> we're talking about over the top. One of the dudes he wrestles looks like Marv being electrocuted. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I think the, like the Home Alone two ones are a little bit more disturbing. Like it's pretty disturbing in the first one. Yeah. When he's stepping on a nail and all that kind yeah, of thing. iron or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah, ouchie. But in this one, Kevin McAllister is just straight up. I mean, Marv cops four bricks to the head. <laughs> That make the shape of a brick on his head. Uh Any of those bricks would have killed him (laughs) straight away. Oh my God, right? (laughs) Dropping from that height off a rooftop onto your head. Holy shit. I don't like to see my man Daniel Stern getting killed like that. I got to turn on City Slickers. Just just yeah. pop on YouTube and go to the scene where he's where he's talking about, you know, in the store, I had to have a gun because... And they're just saying what an amazing heroic moment. Daniel Stern just had in City Slickers. Can we just talk about City Slickers for one day? Of course. Yeah, we'll definitely do an episode on City Slickers in the future. When that comes up, I I know that like we'll we'll give the audience a little more info in a moment, but the caveat to the new way we're going to do some episodes in the future is going to be that we'll still do a City Slickers episode. I think so. Yeah. It's got to be. Yeah, also coming back to the the sequel, I think also The Pigeon Lady was a nice introduction. Uh, Also, the hotel staff I loved seeing you know rob snyder and yeah um that was fun tim curry tim curry thank you um tim curry's great tim curry's great um but yeah i think um you know there's some cool settings to the toy store the plaza hotel obviously uh and then new york city the white christmas new york city is very christmas a fitting fitting christmas setting so it fits home alone yeah it it totally does Um, but uh but yeah at the same time yes i think i'm with you doesn't hold a candle to the first. It just doesn't have the same sort of guilt. Uh, or like when they left on the first movie, Kevin had said something to his mum that he would regret, you know. And then in the second movie, it's more like, uh, oh, you know, Kevin was in the front seat of the car. Like, don't worry, guys, I'm here. <laughs> you mm-hmm. always forgot about me. And he's just forgotten accidentally that there's less weight to the mum's journey to try to get home. And it's a bit more forgettable, I think. Yeah, that film. absolutely. Like, rewatching yep. it this time, I was like, I don't remember any of this shit. And Whereas we talked to the first one. I can 
recite it almost or i feel like i can go through the beats of the movie in my head you know absolutely and also we talked about editing and runtime earlier yeah i mean it's an extra 20 something minutes that's and, right and you yeah. feel and you feel that extra 20 minutes i felt anyway yeah it's not as tightly uh, tight package as the first one the pigeon lady always made me feel a bit uncomfortable i'm not sure why oh yeah yeah i don't know just it's like i don't like this lady <laughs> oh okay you know there's something weird about her i guess and maybe it's the whole thing of like I mean, turtle she, doves. <laughs> yeah. It's not as cool as like an old man that kills people with a snow shovel. Yeah, I mean, she is basically just a shoehorning replacement for him. Yeah, just like, touch, got to touch on the same beats as the of first course. film. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it was still fun to go back and revisit. Yeah, but it doesn't. The, all those reasons that make the first Home Alone kind of extra special just aren't there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's. I mean, it's still decent. It's good that you get the John Hughes, Chris Columbus, yeah. back again. Yeah, you know, the same writing directing team is nice to see. But uh, yeah, it, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's not quite. We needed John Candy. Like, yeah, we did other things. We yeah. need stuff like that. Anyway, um, hey, you know that that feels like pretty pretty good. I, I'm really happy with that chat on Home Alone. Me too. Yeah, and thank you so much again for the uh, fans for reaching out to us and requesting this one. It was fun to do, and we'll try and have more fan picks in the future. So please, absolutely, please send us emails or hit us up on social media, and um, yeah, yeah, request request what you want us to look at. We'll drop all those links in the chat. Now, uh, going forward, we are actually going to go on a nice little season gap, a little season break. Yeah, um, so this is the end of season one. Yeah, we've been doing this for maybe five months of episodes. I think February is when the first episode dropped. Yeah, almost half a year. Yep. Um, and I, look, I'm a little tired, tired. I need a little break, all right? But we got big plans coming up for the future. Um, we're going to do some nice uh, themed seasons so if you like the 80s, if you like the 90s, we're going to be jumping right in with some picks. Um, but we'll still stick to, you know, doing movies we love, subjects we love, content, you know. Well, yeah. It's all about movies that we enjoy. Exactly. This whole podcast has been, a, you know, a bit of a learning experience. And we're going to evolve and change somewhat. But we'll be back still talking movies, yeah. still hanging out, having a chat about movies. Just be uh, some... Future tweaks to look forward to. So, yeah. look forward to season two very, very soon. We're going to evolve like a caterpie to a metapod to a butterfly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but no, yeah, no, lots of good, fun, big stuff coming up planned on. So, yeah, we'll see you in a couple of months, maybe. We'll see you soon. We'll see you in the we'll future sometime. Soon. Yeah. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, take care. Peace out. All right. See you.